Ian Thorpe is number one. A kickstart for Australia. Gold and a world record. Now it's Donovan Bailey trying to pick up runners. Donovan Bailey is putting on a third. He's got it. 984, a world record for Donovan Bailey and a gold medal. A perfect score. 10.0 for Dante Tabanici. A perfect score. The first time I've never seen it. Welcome to Off the Podium, an Olympics podcast as we continue killing time let's just say that on the way to the 2020 tokyo games and uh we're bringing you a series of interviews and today it's actually going to be our second interview in a row featuring somebody from the great sport of curling and if you listened last week you heard our interview with jill officer who was on the 2014 gold medal winning team in the women's curling in sochi we're going all the way back in time today to 1998 as we speak with mike harris who was the skip of the Canadian men's team that went on to win silver in Nagano, the inaugural games for curling. And you're going to hear it in a minute, but I mean, this is a fascinating discussion with somebody who was there kind of at the birth of curling in the Olympics and, and had quite a road through the Olympics. I mean, one of the most interesting stories you're going to hear here is about how he, through the semifinals and the finals, was actually battling a really bad illness and how that uh, affected the play going into the gold medal match. Mike's also kept up with the sport of curling over the years. You can still hear him today commentating for the sport here in Canada. Really fascinating character. Great information on the sport itself. Here's our interview with silver medalist from Nagano, Mike Harris. Last week, we got to speak to uh, an Olympic curler from all the way back in 2014. And now we get to travel way back in time, even further than that, which is so exciting because we get to talk to a man who was there at the beginning of curling in the Olympics. Today, we have the skip from Team Canada, silver medalist from 1998 Nagano, Mike Harris. Thanks so much for joining us today. Happy to be here. Yes. Uh, I'm interested. Who were you speaking to from 2014? That was, uh, we had Jill officer on last week. Oh, cool. Yeah. Great. Jill's Jill's great. Jill Jill's in the bubble here with me in Calgary. So oh, that's, really? Uh, yeah. That's cool. yeah. Yeah. When yeah. I last talked to her, she was in Winnipeg. So she's following one of us <laughs> around all the time. <laughs> Perfect. But yeah, I mean, we always like to start out these interviews, uh, just by asking, you know, how you got into the sport that you're known for and, you know, I, I've mentioned here many times that uh, at least I don't know if it's the same uh, where you're from, but uh, in Winnipeg, I mean, curling was part of our gym class, but uh, uh, I can imagine you probably got into it as a hobby. I mean, what age were you and uh, how did you take up the sport? Well, I think like a lot of uh, young Canadians here, my, my parents curled. So I, I started when I was uh, nine or 10 years old in Montreal, a little two-sheeter club that's not there anymore, St. Anne de Bellevue. And then... Um, I moved to Toronto when I was 12 or 13 and then just started practicing. And I got a job at the curling club helping, you know, do ice maintenance and whatnot and um, got into it then. And, and um, I always was, you know, competitive athlete in other sports. I played a lot of volleyball in high school and um, you know, I'm a, I'm a golf pro as my day job. So, uh, you know, there's always, there was uh, now, and it was a nice fit for, you know, getting into curling was a, was a nice fit for, uh, for the golf business and vice versa. So, 
Um, yeah, I mean, I just, I just loved it when I was right from the time I was uh, nine or 10 years old and, and, uh, you know, competed Canadian juniors and then, uh, you know, obviously worked my way up through the ranks and, uh, we ended up going to the Olympics in 1998. Now, uh, we talked a little bit with Jill about uh, the different positions, if you want to call it that, uh, on a curling team. Uh, eventually, you would become a skip. I mean, when you first start out, I'm guessing it's not your own team. You know, who did you play with originally? I've always skipped, which sounds strange to say. Yeah. And there's been a few few players. Um, you know, I, I think of a guy like uh, you know one of the probably the best players up here is a guy named Wayne Madaw, who 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 we we grew up in the same hometown in Brampton near near Toronto and. Um, Wayne, when he came out of juniors, immediately started playing second for uh, for Russ Howard and won a Briar and World Championship with with him. And then, uh, but I always skipped even after I got out of juniors, um, which made for uh, you know learning things the hard way. I guess is the yeah, you end up playing all these good teams, so we didn't have a lot of success immediately out of juniors. Uh, but we kind of learned our way. Uh, you know, we got mentored by some of the some of the greats of the game on the way up. Uh, um, through the ranks and uh, so I've always skipped in fact so it's it's I'm, I'm kind of unusual in that sense I think but it's a lot lot like uh, I think a lot of sports when I mean, you look at uh, major league baseball players uh, for example the ones that I've spoken with I mean the best athlete was always the pitcher mm-hmm. and then uh, they kind of delved off into other other sports once they got to you know levels kind of went up a little bit they end up playing different positions and whatnot so um, I think a little bit of that in curling when you're the junior when you're the best curler you're the skip and then once you get into the kind of the adult ranks and you see a lot of uh, players kind of try different positions. And, and uh, the, one of the reasons is you have more success, <laughs> you know, when, when you're playing against the more experienced, uh, better, better players, um, you know, you end up switching positions, but uh, I guess I'm one of the rare, the rare few who uh, never played anything, anything else. And obviously you were there when uh, the Olympics introduced uh, in Nagano. I mean, it had been trial sport prior to that, but as you were starting right. to come up, do you remember when the talk first came out, Hey, this is going to be an Olympic sport in Nagano. Did you have your sight set on that? Well, yeah, I think so. I mean, it, it's, it's funny up here. And, and I think for any sport that's new to the Olympic family, you don't really get into it because of the Olympics. I think kids nowadays, like when you see, curlers who are competing to go to Beijing they started knowing they can go to the Olympics so that's a totally different mindset than uh, when Jill and I started uh, years and years ago and um, our goal was always just to win a Canadian championship or a world championship represent Canada but uh, um, yeah when when it first became an official sport I think uh, you know again just because we were kind of learning our way up through the ranks it really wasn't on our radar necessarily we're you know our goal was to, to win our provincial championship um uh you know we had we had russ howard and ed wernick who if you're a curly those are two of the all-time greats living in toronto i we were like the third or fourth best team in toronto but um and you know maybe the 10th best team in the world but that didn't get you very far so we weren't we didn't really have the olympics on on the mind uh, per se but once we qualified for the olympic trials we won a, we won an event up here uh, significant uh, tournament they held in Ottawa. So the winner of that got into the Olympic trials and all of a sudden, okay, this is our, our opportunity on the national stage to kind of do something special. So um, yeah, I mean, we, I to say that we thought about going to the Olympics right away when it was announced would be a, would be a lie, but um, mm-hmm. certainly it's the forefront of everyone's mind right now. 
And when you were in those first Olympic trials, I mean, uh, at that point, were you thinking, okay, we have a shot at this? And as you start progressing and you're getting all the way to the end, at what point did it sort of sink into you? Hey, we have a shot at the Olympics here. And what was that like? Well, you know, for our team, I mean, I can only speak about our team because I, I don't know how every other team was thinking about it. But we we had been we had been uh, kind of frustrated bridesmaids, <laughs> I guess is the best way to put it. We'd lost, uh, you know, several Ontario finals to, like I said, we had three of the top five teams in the world playing against us on a daily basis. Um, so we, like I said, we felt like we we're like the fourth best team in Toronto uh, as we got to the trials, but that made, made us one of the top seven or eight teams in the country. <laughs> so it would, you know, but we went into those trials with, with um, very good records against all the teams that were there. So we, we, we were confident, uh, but we were certainly not, uh, on anyone's list of favorites <laughs> mm -hmm. going into the event, but we, we, we had winning records against everyone over the past two seasons. So, uh, but we also knew until you won the final, until you win something big, you're never sure you can, mm -hmm. I guess is the best way to put it. Right. You know, it's like, you know, the, the, the golfer who's never won best golfer to never win a major, mm -hmm. you know, until they do it, you know, you, you're just never sure if you can do it. So we were that team, you know, even I can tell you when, I thought about going to the Olympics it was after the last rock stopped in the 10th end of the final. <laughs> we just had, we, well, we had, we had lost a heartbreaker uh, in the Ontario, not to go too far back, but in the Ontario finals one year, we were leading playing the last 10. We had a bad break, a rock hit some debris. The rock was off the side of the sheet. The team we lost to goes on, wins the Canadian championship, wins the world championship. So we knew we got to the 10th end of that final. And I said to my team, Let's not get ahead of ourselves. We were tied with Last Rock, which in, in curling up here is a huge advantage. Um, you know, 95% chance of winning, but you still have to make that last shot to win. So until we got through that last end, we really were able to not get ahead of ourselves. And that to me is one of the big keys for any athlete, not just curling, but you, it's, they talk about all the time, you know, just staying in the moment. So I can, I can honestly say we never thought about winning <laughs> because we just hadn't mm -hmm. you know it was just one of those things where we had, had so many close calls um that you know we were we were we didn't dare believe it was going to happen i guess is the best way and then when it did happen you know obviously uh life-changing for us and i had seen some uh, olympics prior to this as i was growing up but i feel like nagano was the first one uh, at least for the winter games where i really had like my full focus on i think curling was one of the big things about that i mean at least here in canada for sure were, there was so much media hype because, you know, this is one of our national sports. Uh, did yeah. you feel like in Japan, there was that interest? Like what were the crowds like when you got there? Uh, it was oddly quiet. I hate to say it that way, but it, you have to remember this is before social media. If you if people can go back into their memory banks before there were, you know, everyone had a cell phone and, you know, we used to get our news. There was a dial up internet, one computer screen, but really people didn't even communicate that way. Like it was just, you read the newspapers and you, you kind of heard about things, you know, word of mouth, um, you know, big, big, big event at that Olympic games was uh, Ross Rebagliati yeah. testing positive for marijuana. We only heard about it from another coach. We never actually saw any media coverage of it, if you know what I mean. So mm -hmm. um, we never really were swept up in, in the hype. So the first, our first impression was, was odd. We, uh, we, we, you know, we come from playing the Olympic trials final in Brandon, Manitoba, 
uh, the Keystone Center there, you would know that building well mm-hmm. if you're from Winnipeg. Yeah. And, and uh, you know, there's seven or 8,000 people to the rafters. And then we go to the Olympics and there's like 1,200 people. Mm-hmm. The, the, the arena is full as it can be, but there's only 1,200 <laughs> people there. So it felt, it felt uh, oddly quiet and maybe a little bit smaller than we expected. And certainly we didn't have the um, appreciation of, of the global impact of what the Olympic games is now. I mean, Mm -hmm. I think, like you said, that curling has a huge part of the games. I mean, after that, uh, since, since 98, 2002 onward, I've covered every, every, every Olympics, uh, broadcasting. So I know how much airtime curling gets. It gets a lot of airtime Mm -hmm. up here in Canada and around the world. I mean, they get, they get the biggest audiences watching curling. So we really didn't have an appreciation of it at the time, I guess is the best way to put it. And, and, um, but it certainly didn't diminish our experience as athletes. I mean, it was great, just great to be involved there and, you know, meeting all the other athletes and on, on the bigger team, that's kind of the fun part. Mm-hmm. And I think uh, one of my biggest memories about that uh, was a, I don't think I had ever watched curling on TV prior to the Nagano Olympics. Right. And I, I remember, of course, the time zones are all over the place and I couldn't sleep one night and came out with my brother's watching curling and he's like hey have you ever seen this game before like it's really incredibly intense to watch and we just started following it like every single day that that was kind of our go-to you know snowboarding and curling being kind of the new sports but there was so much attention and and i remember uh very distinctly a lot of talk about sandra schmerler it was almost like okay well it's a given we're gonna do well but you guys were kind of the underdogs going into that and it was probably only once we started getting closer to the end that uh, your name and your team really started getting dropped and we're like, Hey, we have a shot at two medals here. Yeah. And I mean, we went in as, I mean, if you're representing Canada back then, especially you were the favorite to win the gold medal. So um, we knew that going in, but again, not trying to get ahead of ourselves. You know, we had, we had a lot of work to do when we were there, but again, we had good records against all the teams. And that's one thing I think in any sport, they, they would talk about, um, you know, familiarity with the international comp- competitors. I think any sport, you know, snowboarding, you mentioned like the, the athletes know who the good teams are. And mm-hmm. I think the athletes that were there knew we were a good team and you don't, you don't kind of sneak your way through the Olympic trials in, <laughs> in Canada. Uh, you know, you're, you're, you have to run the gauntlet against the best of the best. So um, yeah, we, we played very well. We went, uh, we lost our last game of the round Robin, but it was meaningless at the time. We already had a secured first place. Uh, mm-hmm. So yeah, we, we had played very well. Um, I got very, very sick for the final, which uh, it's one of those things, you know, timing is, is, uh, is everything. I actually had to end up having viral pneumonia and I was quite sick for the semifinal as well. So, uh, but I, I basically didn't show up for the final. I was, I was so sick, but, um, you know, you're not going to stay out of the gold medal game. So I actually (laughs) played very poorly. You know, it's one of those things like, you know, you feel like you've let your teammates down and, um, you know, it's still, I'm almost over it, you know, it's 20, <laughs> 20, 23 years ago. So I'm almost over it, but uh, you know, it's one of those things where you just don't get a, a second chance at it. So, um, but you know, I, you know, it's just, like I said, it was, it was a life-changing uh, moment on so many levels. And, you know, you mentioned Sandra Schmerler, uh, you know, we lost Sandra up here shortly after, you know, a couple of years later, she was gone sadly, but you know, when we were on the podium accepting our medals in, in uh, Brandon, I turned to Sandra. I said, uh, your name's going to get mentioned a lot with us. And they'll say, you know, who the hell are those guys with Sandra Schmerler? And that's basically, <laughs> that was basically our, our legacy going into that uh, games. And so they, they, they were great, uh, 
great teammates, great fun to be around. And, and, you know, and the second on that team, Joan McCusker, I've worked with her mm-hmm. at CBC sports since 2001, basically. So she's uh, one of my dear friends and, um, you know, it's just, like I said, it's, uh, it was, it was just a great experience. And, uh, I'm, you know, it really brought it, it made us as curlers understand, <clears throat> excuse me, how much bigger curling is mm-hmm. than just the curlers, you know, the Olympics changes everything. It becomes a worldwide, uh, worldwide phenomenon. I can imagine, obviously you have a greater appreciation just for where you are and what you can achieve when you're in the Olympics. But what about the pressure? Like, is, are, are you the type of athlete where the pressure doesn't necessarily get to you and you can sort of, you know, whether it's in a world championship or, you know, just a provincial championship, you just sort of separate it. Or when you're on like the biggest stage and it's the Olympics, was there any point where you start to think, Hey, this is the Olympics. I really don't want to blow this in, especially if you start getting sick too. Right. Well, again, it had, I got sick at the end of the week and we were playing really well, but I think, I mean, my, my view on it is that most highly competitive, uh, high performance athletes put far more pressure on themselves than uh, any external force could possibly put on them. So if you're, if you're being, I, I would use the term distracted by the pressure of being at the Olympics, um, you're not going to be successful. I, you know, we went in there completely prepared for the games. We were completely prepared to, to perform our best. Um, certainly, like, again, we didn't have the distractions of social media that the teams mm-hmm. have. You see a lot of teams going to social media cocoons now. They don't. They don't engage in, in uh, any of the social media platforms while they're at the games. And I understand why, because it can be so distracting. Um, you know, I, I just think back to uh, Rachel Holm, who was our, our Olympic team in, yeah. in uh, 2018 in Pyeongchang. And, and she, um, you know, they, they did, they were not successful. And I, I, I sat on the plane with them flying home and I said, how was your experience? And, and they just, said it was hard, you know, just because they're, you know, start reading everything. Um, you know, it's funny, my, my, my lead that year, uh, in 98 did an interview with international media. Um, and I can only speak to this because I only found out about after the fact, but, um, he said something along the lines to the media that, uh, the team we played in the final, the team wouldn't be ranked in the top 40 in Canada or something, something Mm -hmm. along those lines, something you don't say, Right. Well, the old, sorry, bulletin board material for yeah. your, for your opponents. But I didn't know anything about it because, you know, the only thing, the only place that got published was in the newspaper, which mm-hmm. we didn't see. And of course I got asked about it in our, in our post game news conference. And I had no idea that it even had been said, nor did our opponents for that matter. So, um, you know, the Swiss, the Swiss team that we played against uh, had no idea either. So, I, you know, if that's something like that happens now, of course, the whole place would blow up and you'd have people in your face before the game. Uh, media would be all over you. And then you'd have your PR person <laughs> kind of toning down the rhetoric and whatnot. So, it, you know, times have changed. Uh, you know, it's, it's, it's only 20 some odd years ago, but it's, it's, in a, it's a lifetime when it comes to, to the media and the exposure of, uh, you know, of sport in general. But the, uh, the Olympics, everything's heightened even more. Mm-hmm. One of the things that I actually find is one of the benefits, at least as a, a, a viewer with social media, is being able to appreciate what the athletes actually go to. Because we talked a little bit with uh, Jill last week about this. There's sort of this perception for the longest time that's like, oh, you know, curling is like the bowling of, you know, winter sports. 
but then you start seeing on social media, like the athletes, the, the workouts they have to go to, you know, the shape that they get right. their bodies in. Uh, can you tell us just a little bit of what the training regimen was like and what the conditioning needed to be in order to compete in the Olympics back in 90? I, I should show I should show you my room full of uh, beer and vodka. <laughs> 20 something <laughs> odd years later. Easier. Commentating's easier. I guess yeah. So. No, I mean, the, the, the Olympics changed, changed everything. You know, it, you know, again, we, at the time thought we were in shape, you know, we, but we weren't certainly doing the workouts that they are now. And then, and then we had teams after us really start to change the rules. Um, Kevin Martin's team uh, really was the first team to kind of go super heavy into, you know, full-time training, full-time weights thing, the thing of people. And one of the endearing things about curling is that the people who curl generally have jobs, generally have day jobs, generally have families, you know, Sanders team, the appeal of Sanders team is that they were all moms, right? They're all, mm. they're all parents of kids and young kids at that. And I think Sandra had just had a baby. Um, so, you know, it's one of those things where, where, yes, you can still do that, but it's becoming more and more difficult all the time. You know, our, our, the best, one of the best teams, well, two of the best teams in the world right now, Rachel Holman, uh, who was our team in, in Pyeongchang, just competed in the Scotties, um, eight months pregnant. Yeah, she that was that was month ago. She just had her baby yesterday. So think about that. So she's she's she lost the final, could very well have won and gone. You know, she she would have then had a baby between the Scotties held in February and the <laughs> and the Worlds in May. It's like what other sport can that happen? So in, only the skip, by the way, can do that, not the sweepers. Uh, <laughs> but but uh, but you know, there's there yeah, the training the training regimen uh, back then for us it was just getting on the ice as often as you can. Um, nowadays it's about you know you're in the gym a couple hours a day. You should you know again the people you should have on next are uh, our team Jacobs mm-hmm. who are the Olympic gold medalists in 2014 with Jill Officer. Yeah. Uh, you know, you look at those guys and what they do, uh, their, their regular workout routines, but they also, that's their job. They're funded to a point where they can actually take time off work. And, and, uh, I think only EJ actually works for a, a company. The others are kind of professional curlers. If you want to call it that. Um, so the game, you know, the Olympics have really changed the dynamic of everything. Um, the other, the other one is Anna Hasselborg, who's, uh, the Olympic gold medalist from Pyeongchang. She just had a baby. She's coming to the world championships here uh, in a few weeks. And she's going to, she, I know her, her husband and, and, uh, and baby are coming with. And uh, so, you know, it, it's, it's one of those sports where um, I liken it to golf a little bit in, in that sense where, uh, you know, hand-eye coordination and, and talent uh, goes so far, goes, goes a long, long way in curling. Um Obviously, the fitter you are, the, the more durable you're going to be. You don't, I, people get, what do you need to be jacked up for curling for? You don't, you're not jacked up for curling for one shot or one time sweeping down the ice. Mm-hmm. You're jacked up. So when you have 13 games in a week, yeah. when you get to the final in game 14, you're not exhausted. Yeah. Right. I mean, so you go like two, is, three is, hours is for being, even a single game, right? Right. Is, is being jacked up going to help you on one particular shot versus a guy who's not? Not necessarily, but over the course of a week or a season now, um, you know, um, they play so much more now than we used to um, just out of necessity. There's, you know, world curling tour events and uh, the grand slam of curling, which I broadcast up here. Uh, it's just such a grueling schedule. And the guys, by the time the season's over, they're, they're exhausted. Got, and women, men and women are, they're all yeah. just exhausted. And it's just, um, 
know, you're, you're working out so hard for the long haul, not for that one particular shot, if that makes sense. And that's a little bit the same way in, in golf in that sense. Mm -hmm. Another thing that I think is unique with curling, and I guess you could liken the same thing with hockey, is that you walk away with a silver medal. I mean, if you're a speed skater, or if you're a track star and you win the silver medal, sure. you've won, but you kind of have happy. to... <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. But you, you kind of have to go from a loss to accepting a gold medal. I mean, when that yeah. happens, like which one kind of overpowers? Is it the disappointment of I didn't get the gold medal or is it the appreciation of I'm a silver medalist in Olympics? Well, uh, my the worst time to get the silver medal is immediately when it happens and it just keeps getting better after that, I guess is the best yeah. way to, to, to describe it. You know, you don't really appreciate and I really didn't appreciate it until the next Olympics in Salt Lake when, when I was there and I saw how difficult it was to get there. You know, when you're going through it as an athlete, you don't really worry about um, how you're getting there. So, you know, I really began to appreciate it more after the fact, certainly after 2002 and, and now all these years later, um, you know, it's, it's, it's just really hard, you know, curling's, it's not like any sport. It's just really hard to kind of get to that top level, but I don't think I appreciated it at the time. You know, we're just, you're just younger and, and you're more uh, focused on what, uh, what you're trying to do and what you're trying to accomplish. And, you know, you only see the target at the end. You don't see all the stuff that you have to, all the hurdles you need to jump to get there. So mm -hmm. um, I definitely appreciate it more now than I did then. And I'll appreciate it more tomorrow than I did today. So it's yeah. kind of the, you know, that's the way it is. And you mentioned, I mean, you made a transition from the sport into commentating, which is something we, we find mm -hmm. more and more common. People either go on to become coaches or they go on to become commentators. How did that transition happen? And were you approached by CBC? Did you sort of, you know, get an agent and say, hey, I really want to do something on camera? Uh, yeah, no, I just got a call. Um, I was, you know, I, I call it quite young. I mean, I was 30, I think, when I started working for them. 32, I guess. Uh, I started in 2000. And um you know, I still in curling years, that's quite young, actually. So um, I got a phone call to audition. Uh, I didn't really think too much of it uh, at the time thinking. And it, it's funny, when I got the job, I said to uh, Joan McCusker, who was on that great Standish Merlin team, I said to Joan, well, if we get through Torino, or excuse me, get through, uh, yeah, Torino 2006. So I thought that'd be a good run, you know, that'd be five or six years <laughs> of doing this commentating thing. And maybe I'll compete again. And, and, um, uh, but, you know, here, here we are all these years later and, uh, you know, it's fun. It, it, once you kind of get your, your, your taste of commentating, I've never really tired of it. I'm, you know, I, I still feel like I can get back on the ice. My daughter wants me to play mixed doubles with her. Um, <laughs> that's a, that's a young person's game, but I think I could, you know, for a couple of events next year, I might, uh, might, uh, you know, blow the dust off the, off the shoes, but, uh, you know, uh, I, yeah, I got a phone call auditioned and got the gig and like I said, I've been happily, doing it ever since it's just it's it's a real privilege to to watch the the best of the best um and i still get my fix you know one of the things when you when you become a a commentator is you kind of you miss what you miss is the athletes you don't really miss the hard work of practicing and everything else but you do you do miss uh you know having having that post-game beer or beer in the evening with the players and certainly right after when i started commentating it was much more um uh, friendly i suppose because i i really knew the athletes that are mm -hmm. that that were competing back then so nowadays it's you know it's been 20 years really since i've competed 
seriously. So uh, I don't know the athletes quite as well. And there's, there's not that same uh, sense of uh, camaraderie, I guess, mm-hmm. with, with the, with the current athletes. But I still think because we see them all the time, multiple times over the season, there's definitely uh, like I said, I have a great admiration for all the curlers now, because I know how hard they, they work and how difficult it is to kind of uh, take that step to represent your country, whether it's you know Canada or the U S and, you know, we shouldn't, we should talk a little bit about uh, John Schuster breaking through and in, mm. in Pyeongchang, like how, how that could have changed the game in the U S. I mean, we always thought it would be such a great thing for the U S to win a, a gold medal. You know, you never wanted it to be when you were competing against them, but yeah, the fact exactly. That, the, the fact that, uh, that, uh, they won the gold medal for the United States in, in, uh, in 2018 was, was spectacular. And, and again, these, these guys, again, you're friends with these people off the ice. Um, so, you know, I'm friends with all the, all the, most of the curlers, in fact, off the ice. So it's one of those things where, um, yeah, you're, you're not cheerleading. You're just trying to, to make sure you present the best show to the audience and be helpful and informative. And, and, uh, like I said, it's a privilege to, to, to go to the Olympics, uh, um, not only as an athlete, but also as a broadcaster, it's real, it's a real treat for, for me, especially. I love it. And have you been able to attend all the Olympics since Nagano as commentator? I have. Yeah. I was in, uh, CBC has been the rights holder in Canada, as you know, for most of them, the only one we weren't the rights holders Vancouver or was Vancouver, but I was there, um, on the, on the media bench working with the camera crews. So, uh, there's host broadcast teams that, you know, every sheet gets broadcast in full, at the Olympics. So if you're, you know, this, if you're in Sweden, you want to watch your team play mm-hmm. whomever they're playing against the Olympics, so you have to be able to cover that game. So I worked with the, with the host broadcast team there and uh, yeah, and I've been there and, and uh, I was lucky enough to actually go to Rio as well. I'm, I'm, I think I mentioned briefly, I was a, I'm a, I'm a golf pro is, was my day job. Uh, so I actually got to go to Rio and do some golf commentating, which was fantastic. I love oh, that. And then uh, I'm hoping to go to, to do something in Tokyo as well. Although COVID, I think, I, I think I'll be, uh, uh, I'll be stuck here at home, I think, unfortunately, mm-hmm. but um, no, I, I, yes, I've been to the last, uh, well, that's, I think I've worked seven Olympic games, including Rio. Uh, it's hard. It's, it feels like I'm not that old, but I guess I am. <laughs> <laughs> you started very I young. I, I guess that's the yeah. thing, right? <laughs> yeah. I will say I I've only, I was only, uh, I said 30, 32 when I went to, uh, I was only 30 when I went to the game. So yeah, I mean, it's, yeah, it's, uh, it's something, it's a treat. So I, like I said, I'm, I'm, I love it. And it's, like I said, it's, I find it uh, a real privilege to, to, to be able to, to, to bring the, the, uh, the games to our, our Canadian audience here. And regardless of where you are around the world, I mean, obviously there's going to be some countries where it's a little bit different. I mean, Jill was talking about in Sochi, just the, the crowd, there was a lot of enthusiasm, but not a lot of understanding of the game. But overall, mm-hmm. would you say that like the appreciation for the game and the crowds that come out worldwide, has this increased a lot since Nagano? Oh, for sure. Uh, without a doubt. I think, um, like I said, in Nagano, there was 1200 people there. Uh, the only people who really knew what was going on were the families of the athletes. <laughs> so, um, you know, they're so curling now. I said, it is a worldwide sport. I think in Sochi was with the, when the home team was playing in Vancouver was the same. I mean, you talk about, it's not just in non, I call them non-curling, non-traditional curling countries. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, but in Sochi, the loudest crowd was always for the Russian team. Yeah. Right. That makes sense. Right. In in Korea was for the Korean team. The Korean women to me was the story of, of oh, the yeah. winter Olympics in Pyeongchang. It was just absolutely incredible. 
um, you know, I actually had a, just had a conference call with uh, some of my my CBC people, and um, Korea played Japan in the semifinals of that Olympic Games, and it was probably the best women's game I've ever seen from a drama standpoint, from an execution standpoint, to the crowds, and then on, and then they I think they had 175 million people in Korea and Japan watching those that game. You can imagine that 107, like we're happy at the, when the briar gets 2 million, 3 million people, right? So 175 million people in Korea and Japan watch that game. And, and, um, that's crazy. That dwarfs like Tanya Harding and Nancy Kerrigan, like (laughs) crazy, crazy numbers, right? Like, and it, it still kind of makes me emotional because, um, at the end, you know, the, the, the girls are bowing to the crowd as part of, as a, sign of respect for the crowd for coming out and mm-hmm. oh yeah it was just it was just awesome so the, the garlic girls kind of turned turned the game around right it was just fantastic so yeah. okay so before we get into our final series of questions there is something we ask every medalist that we have on the show uh which is <laughs> what did you do with your medal is it do you keep it somewhere special good question so you know it's funny after after we uh we won got home and uh I kind of had it on display. It was one of those things when it's a silver, it's not, you're not having it out, <laughs> out and about as much, but I, I went, I said, I got the job with CBC pretty quickly. And then they put us on this, uh, I call it a, uh, a metal tour. So when we went to the school, we we'd go into the Scotties or the Briar or whatever, and we would go to talk to schools. So Joan and I would bring our medals along with us and we would kind of do a presentation. So uh, my silver medal literally was in 10, tens of thousands of hands over the number of years that that we uh we worked only for cbc um and then all, as we were going through that we kind of had kids and stuff so my, my my kids played uh soccer so i always joked that my 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 medal was right beside the kids soccer medals right yeah. <laughs> <laughs> on display so um but you know i would just kind of basically take it with me so i didn't really have a special spot for it and then um just recently, I've moved within the last month. So this is we're 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 building a bookcase next to a kind of a built-in built-in bookcase, and I'm finally going to display my medal for the first time in my life. So 23 years later, I'll have it on display. Right now, it's sitting in in a in a drawer in the box in a dresser in one of the bedrooms of the home we just moved into. But we're building <laughs> we're building these shelves, and I intend to put it on display for the first time in in 23 years. So that's uh, there you go. There's a good story. It's- it's, it's funny because I feel like most athletes we interview, they don't put it on display. And, and a lot of it's, they're just nervous. Oh, I don't want to lose it or whatever. I don't want to draw attention to it in case somebody snatches it. But the one of the most common answers is just, you know what? I, I, I have an endorsement. Actually, tease for next week. If people want to tune in next week, we're going to talk to Tessa Virtue. And she may have one of the... Uh, the uh the, the best answers for where her medal is just sort of stowed and away she's got plenty of and she's got plenty yeah. of gold so yeah exactly go. <laughs> she's gonna need a couple of drawers for her i guess exactly exactly uh well, we've got a final series of questions here now uh this predates your time in the games but something that um the team canna started doing i believe it was in rio is they give a series of questionnaires to the athletes and it's something they fill out in their own handwriting some of it was like draw a picture of this some of them serious sports related questions, some of them just goofy questions. Uh, so we'll give you a, a set of questions here, which we're going to use the base of Denny Morrison. Uh, so you'll get Denny's questions here and you can try to top his, I okay. guess. Uh, so first question, which is uh, pretty much always the first question here. My favorite Olympic moment is. 
Uh, for me, I'm watching uh, Midori Ito light the flame in Nagano. Um, as far as uh, watching an athlete, I'll go back to uh, Greg Joy. That's an oldie, oh, yeah. a goodie, 1976. I lived in Montreal back uh, back when the games were there, so I watched him uh, win a silver medal. So um, those are my two favorites. Yeah, no, I'm Greg Joy. I mean, how many? I mean, that's before I was born, and yet. The, you still you'll tune in to cbc anytime they have olympic coverage and you're going to see clips yeah. of great joy there that's one of the big ones uh yeah. second question as a kid my favorite sports team was not even close for me montreal canadians montreal oh, canadians yeah. montreal canadians still still so <laughs> i joke i said i grew up in montreal back in the 70s we had we had a stanley cup parade every year so yeah. and still <laughs> the last canadian fun, so. team to have a stanley cup parade <laughs> There you go. There you go. A couple others have had some Stanley Cup riots, but no parades. <laughs> <laughs> Fair enough. Defending Canadian champs. Uh, yeah. If I could be any superhero, I would be. Oh, good one. Uh, probably a Superman can do everything, right? I think oh, yeah. Superman would be the one. Yeah, for nice. sure. Who that's doesn't want to fly? And that's my personal favorite, too. <laughs> uh, my favorite music artists are. Oh, interesting. Um, of a weird one to start. I simply read. I loved simply read back uh, 10 or 12, 15 years ago. Mm. Um, they're kind of passe now, but uh, you know, I've seen some great concerts the last few years. Been lucky. Uh, Justin Timberlake was amazing. C- big country fan now. Chris Stapleton's a, a big favorite of mine right now. And um, yeah, there's, there's, there's a bunch. Of, I, I, I'm really, really enjoying uh country this this at this time uh i'll give i'll put it people on to some a guy named chris clafford k-l-a-f-f-o-r-d and he's uh he's on he's a, one of his youtube guys mm-hmm. and uh, i think he I think he won norway's got talent or something like that and guy's amazing i saw him on america's got talent i'm kind of obsessed with him right now wow hey you know what hey if you if you end up doing the mixed doubles at any point you get your own walk-up music could be chris clafford there you go. Perfect. <laughs> uh, your favorite place to compete is? Um, well, I mean, Brandon, Manitoba. I've got great memories from there. Mm-hmm. Like I said, won the trials there. I played the Canadian Mixed uh, Championship there in that same arena as well. Um, yeah, and I don't really compete much anymore. So uh, I'll, uh, I'll, I'll say anywhere I'm, I'm playing mixed doubles with my daughter. That's, that's my current favorite. Uh, how about one thing I've always wanted to do is, is that play mixed doubles with your daughter? <laughs> Who knows? Yeah, no, that, that was kind of fun. Like she's, I've got three kids and she's the youngest and she's the only one that curls. So, mm-hmm. uh, you know, I guess uh, that, that it's something, again, not something I ever thought I would, would have a chance to do. Um, but yeah, I mean, again, I, and I love coaching too. So um, yeah. Uh, one thing I thought I never did. Well, I never thought I'd go to the Olympics. So that's, that's <laughs> yeah. one. And uh <laughs> and now I, yeah, said, again. <laughs> right and now i just like it said i'm happy to just keep going back but uh yeah anyway i i, I love traveling so anything that's involved with travel i'm happy to do uh your favorite movie is Ooh, um i have a couple of favorites but uh my my one of my one of my favorites is uh, so i married an axe murder mike myers oh yeah and then uh and then uh, i love american treasure uh that one and uh, da vinci code those are probably my oh, three yeah. favorites uh your favorite cartoon to watch growing up was uh um yeah i watched a lot of bugs bunny i think bugs bunny and then flintstones at noon we come home for lunch and flintstones mm-hmm. beyond right so that's those are those are the two big ones flintstones and jetsons back to back i'm was dating like- myself oh yeah the jetsons <laughs> were great too that's right 
I mean, Flintstones was what, 20, 30 years it was around. I mean, <laughs> even my generation, we were still watching the Flintstones. There you go. Uh, if I had to do karaoke, I would sing. Oh, I, I actually don't do a terrible Alan Jackson Chattahoochee. <laughs> really? It's not terrible. It's not terrible. It's not good, but the rest <laughs> of them are terrible. So, uh, and, and it, it really depends on the level of alcohol by both myself and the people listening. <laughs> you know, you know, it's funny because uh, all my memories of Alan Jackson is, uh, well, one, he had a guest spot on my favorite TV show as a kid, Home Improvement. Uh, but yeah. secondly, uh, aside from when we would do curling in gym class in the winter, our summer activity was line dancing and our teacher loved having us line dance Alan Jackson. Oh, there so you go. I, I have that song memorized from weeks upon weeks of line dancing. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> uh, final question here. If I could be an Olympian in any sport other than my own, it would be, I'm guessing golf. Uh, golf. Golf yeah. now. Yeah, for sure. Um, I joke a lot with people who are in other sports saying, Oh, you're curling. You must, you're Olympics. Da, da, da. You must be doing very well. I said, any other sport other than curling would have been great. <laughs> would have been able to make a good, good chunk of money, but uh, no. Uh, but yeah, I think, I think if I could choose now, I'd go back and try to get there uh, as a golfer, but uh, I was never remotely good enough at golf, even though it's, uh, I can teach you how to swing a golf club, but that's different than playing. Yeah. So uh, yeah. So. Swinging the golf club and sweeping a little bit of similarity there. You got some of the same form. Yeah. <laughs> Know what it's like. It's the, the putting. The putting has some similarities. It's kind of the feel and the touch. Like curling at the end of the day is a field game. It's those golf. Mm -hmm. So I think that's where they, uh, and, 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 you know, in Canada, a lot of, uh, a lot of our curling clubs up here have golf courses uh, attached in the summer as well. Right. Or vice versa, depending how you look at it. So, I um, you know, a lot of golf and country clubs in, in Toronto where I'm from that, uh, that have curling and golf. So. Oh, we've already mentioned, you know, people can tune in and see you, listen to you almost weekly if you're living in Canada. Uh, anything else you want to plug that you're up to right now? You know, what can we watch you on? What are we going to watch you covering in the next couple of weeks? Well, yeah, I mean, we've got the, we're in this bubble here starting. Uh, yeah, it, I think the, the Women's World Championship wraps up on May 10th. So I mean, in the bubble until then doing that. Uh, World Curling Federation has a YouTube channel that, uh, Kevin Martin, Jill Officer, uh, Melissa Saligo, who's uh, went to the Olympics back in Alberville as well. So, and Luke Coley, the five of us are doing all the games on on uh, on there. So, if you go to the World Curling Federation channel on YouTube, you'll be able to watch us. And then, uh, if you live in Canada, of course, we sports at the Grand Slams are coming up uh, as well. And then uh, next season, we're looking forward to the, let's get everyone vaccinated, get everyone back yeah. on the ice, and uh, make sure that we're ready to go for uh, for Beijing. So, we're we're very excited about that. Well, it's been an absolute pleasure having you on here today. And, you know, if you if you ever get bored with CBC and you want to come on, we've, we've been known to, during the Olympics, do a little bit of commentary ourselves. We would gladly welcome you on to uh, educate Perfect. us and, and join us in our commentary efforts. I'd be happy to. Just uh, you, you know where to find me now. This is good. <laughs> yeah. All right. Thanks so much for being here today. Okay, and thanks, uh, we hope to talk to you soon. Cheers. And fantastic chat there with Mike as we wrap up our mini-series of two interviews that we have on curling. And we're sort of, and if you haven't noticed, we're sort of trying to check the boxes right now on all these sports that we've never actually had the opportunity to talk to anybody on. So being able to bring you not only one, but two curling interviews was absolutely fantastic, especially for a Canadian who, I mean, this is essentially one of our national sports along with hockey. Again, big thanks to Mike for being on the show with us here today. 
And next week, we actually have a very big interview lined up for you. Uh, It's not somebody who is in a sport we've never discussed before. We have actually talked to somebody who's in figure skating before we spoke to Jamie Soleil back in the summer. But next week, we're going to bring you one of the biggest athletes in the history of figure skating, not just Canadian, but in any sport. Next week, you're going to be able to hear our interview with Tessa Virtue. And Tessa, along with Scott Moore, I believe the most decorated figure skaters in the history of the sports, in the history of Olympics. So stay tuned for that. And we're going to have some more interviews. We're going to slowly plug away here as we get closer and closer to our 100th episode, which is crazy to think that we're almost at 100 episodes for a show that originally was just meant to only run during the Olympics. We've been able to fill so much extra time with all these interviews here, and we're getting closer and closer to the Tokyo Games as well. So as we continue to bring you these interviews, keep in mind, Tokyo is right around the corner, and when that does come, we're going to have tons of coverage, daily coverage, as we usually do during these Olympics. So make sure to subscribe to our show on iTunes, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, wherever you can find us. Like us on Facebook, follow us on Twitter, and join us next week as we chat to Tessa Virtue here on Off the Podium.